0: uh Shabbat Shalom brothers and sisters. Glad to see everyone back for another edition of God Honest Truth stream. And ask yourself, have you ever been wrong about something? Have you ever met someone else who maybe thought differently or made a different decision than you did? Did you think they were wrong and you had the right way of doing things? Well, that's the kind of thing we're going to talk about tonight. Tonight's Drosh, it's all about heresy and orthodoxy. We're going to go over some history. We're going to go over some of the statutes that were decided and how all that played out. We're going to go over Protestantism. We're going to go over Judaism. We're going to go over Catholicism. All that in the scope of heresy and orthodoxy. That's tonight's drosh But before that, we're going to get into, like we always do, our live stream liturgy, our Torah portion, our Haftorah portion, and our Brit HaDasha portion. Now, if you're just joining us for the first time we'd like to say shalom and welcome we are god honest truth and you can find out more about us at godhonesttruth.com we are a messianic ministry based in north carolina and if you would like to find out more about us please contact us through any of our many social media platforms or you can also contact us directly through email at team at so with all that being said Let's go ahead and dive
1: into our
2: liturgy. O balev haanima nefesh yehudi amiya bate mizrak. Adima Ayin Lezion Doviyam Onloavda, Loavda Tikvatenu Atikvabash Notapahim Lahiyotam <laughs> Koshi Ve Artenu Eretz <speaking in> the on Verusha lahayim. Ahio Tomko she behehehehe nu. It's the on Verusha
1: lahayim.
2: Yahweh Elohay Yahweh, Hear,
0: O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be his name, whose glorious kingdom is for eternity. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul and with all your might and have these words which I command you this day be upon your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children and speak of them when you sit in your house when you walk by the way when you lie down and when you rise up and you shall bind them for a sign upon your hand and let them be frontless between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and upon your gates So in the way of announcements this week, there's not too many new announcements. just want to make one quick announcement that we did have to make a change to an upcoming episode. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. In fact, about right now. Here's your list of upcoming episodes for about the next two months or so. The change we're talking about is on October 28th. I did forget that we had a prior engagement on that date. So that has been changed, and there now will be no stream on the 28th, or at least no drosh. We'll try to get up at least the tour portion, the half tour portion, and the Brit Shah for you in a recorded format, but there will be no drosh on October 28th. Now, like I said earlier, excuse me, tonight's drosh is going to be all about heresy and orthodoxy. been really excited for this, so make sure to stay tuned for that. Next week is going to be another scriptural dossier on Moses. And then after that, another back-to-back scriptural dossier on Joshua. Make sure to tune in for all of those, plus all of the upcoming episodes, every Friday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And like always, here's your list of Moedim for the next upcoming year, all the way through Yom Teruah of next year. And of course, our next upcoming feast day is going to—I'm sorry, Moedim— it's going to be Yom Kippur, which starts on October 4th and runs through October 5th. And of course, it starts on sunset of October 4th and runs through sunset of October 5th. The next one after that is going to be Sukkot. Super excited. So if you have not watched our previous episodes on Sukkot and Yom Kippurim, make sure to go back and watch those as you'll get what the Moadim are about, how to celebrate it, all the scriptures go with it, all that good stuff. So go back in our playlist and view each episode of those respectively. Now, as always, if you have any prayer requests or announcements that you would like to have announced live on air, make sure to have those in to us by Thursday evening at the latest. You can email those to us at team at and we'll have them ready to go by Friday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So, with all that being said, let's go ahead and get back to our liturgy. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. He walked among us, filled with your Spirit. The only one who ever perfectly fulfilled your Torah. He healed the sick and raised the dead. Multitudes of our people sought his touch. He taught as no man taught, with authority he brought forth the treasures of the Torah. How the children sought him, the lepers he touched and made clean, how the despised and outcast found love and release from their sin. How the hypocrites feared him, whose words uncovered their sin, despised and rejected, acquainted with grief, he bore the sins of Israel. All we like sheep have gone astray, turned every one to his own way. Our iniquities were laid upon the king, the sins of the world his burden to bear. He rose from the dead and opened the way to life everlasting, praise his name. We are in him, his spirit and powers, new life is ours with joy and peace. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, who has given us Messiah our King. For the sake of our Master Yeshua and his merit and virtues, may the sayings of my mouth and a meditation of my heart be favorable before you, O Lord, my Rock and my Redeemer. Amen. Avinu sheba shemayim Yikadesh shemcha. Tavo mehutecha retzonecha our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, let thy kingdom come, let thy will be done, as on earth, so as in heaven. Ten lanu hayom l'chem hukenu, v'salach lanu et ashmatenu ka'asher, so anachnu Asher ashmulanu, Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The Teviinu de Kiim Hatsilenu Min Hara. olamim. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the and the glory forever. Amen. None can compare to you, O Lord, and nothing compares to your creation. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your mercy endures throughout all generations. The Lord is king, the Lord was king, the Lord shall be king throughout all time. May the Lord grant his people mercy. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me, let us exalt him together. And it came to pass, whenever the ark went forth, Moses would say, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. May those who hate you flee from before you. For from Zion shall go forth the Torah, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Blessed be he who in holiness gave the Torah to his people Israel. And tonight's tour portion is going to be Exodus chapter 10 verse 1 through chapter 12 verse 12. And like always, we'll give you just a moment to find that at home that in your preferred translation at home in case you want to follow along with us. Exodus chapter ten, verse one. And Yahweh said to Moshe, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, so that I show these signs of mine before him, and that you relate in the hearing of your son and your son's son what I have done in Mitzrayim and my signs which I have done among them, and you shall know that I am Yahweh. And Moshe and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus said Yahweh Elohim of the Hebrews. So when shall you refuse to humble yourself before me let my people go so that they serve me or else if you refuse to let my people go see tomorrow i am bringing locusts within your borders and they shall cover the surface of the land so that no one is able to see the land they shall eat the rest of what has escaped which remains to you from the hail they shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field and they shall fill your houses, and the houses of all your servants, and the houses of all the Mitzrites, which neither your fathers nor your fathers' fathers have seen, since the day that they were on the earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's servants said to him, To when would this one be a snare to us? Let the men go, so that they serve Yahweh their Elohim. Do you not yet know that Mitzrayim is destroyed? And Moshe and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go, serve Yahweh your Elohim, who are the ones that are going. And Moshe said, We are going with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds we are going, for we have a festival to Yahweh. And he said to them, Let Yahweh be with you as I let you and your little ones go. Watch, for evil is before your face. Not so, you men go now and serve Yahweh, for that is what you desired. And they were driven out from the presence of Pharaoh. And Yahweh said to Moshe, Stretch out your hand over the land of Mitzrayim, for the locusts to come up, come upon the land of Mitzrayim, and eat every plant of the land all that the hell has left. And Moshe stretched out his rod over the land of Mitzrayim, and Yahweh brought an east wind on the land all that day and all that night morning came and the east wind brought the locust, and the locusts went up over all the land of mitzrayim and settled within all the borders of mitzrayim very grievous there had never been locusts like them before nor would there again be like them and they covered the surface of all the land so that the land was darkened and they ate every plant of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left no greenness was left on the trees or on the plants of the field in all the land of Mitzrayim Pharaoh then called for Moshe and Aaron in haste and said I have sinned against Yahweh your Elohim and against you and now please forgive my sin only this once and pray to Yahweh your Elohim that he would only turn away this death from me and he went out from Pharaoh and prayed to Yahweh And Yahweh turned a very strong west wind which took the locusts away and blew them into the sea of reeds. Not one locust was left within all the border of Mitzrayim. However, Yahweh strengthened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not let the children of Israel go. And Yahweh said to Moshe, Stretch out your hand toward the heavens, and let there be darkness over the land of Mitzrayim, even a darkness which is felt. And Moshe stretched out his hand toward the heavens, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Mitzrayim for three days. They did not see one another, nor did any one rise from his place for three days, while all the children of Yisrael had light in their dwellings. And Pharaoh called to Moshe and said, Go serve Yahweh, only leave your flocks and your herds behind. Let your little ones go with you too. But Moshe said, You yourself are to provide us with slaughterings and ascending offerings to prepare for Yahweh our Elohim. And our livestock are to go with us too, not a hoof is to be left behind. For we have to take some of them to serve Yahweh our Elohim, and we ourselves do not know with what we are to serve Yahweh until we come there. However, Yahweh strengthened the heart of Pharaoh, and he would not let them go. And Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Watch yourself and see my face no more, for in the day you see my face, you die. And Moshe said, You have spoken rightly, never again do I see your face. <clears throat> it's a short break. Exodus chapter 11, verse 1. And Yahweh said to Moshe, I am bringing yet one more plague on Pharaoh and on Mitzrayim. After that, he is going to let you go from here. When he lets you go, he shall drive you out from here altogether. Speak now in the hearing of the people, and let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor objects of silver and objects of gold. And Yahweh gave the people favor in the eyes of the Mitzrites. And the man Moshe was very great in the land of Mitzrayim, in the eyes of Pharaoh's servants and in the eyes of the people. And Moshe said, Thus said Yahweh, about midnight I am going out into the midst of Mitzrayim, and all the firstborn in the land of Mitzrayim shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of cattle. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Mitzrayim, such as has never been or ever shall be again. But against any of the children of Israel, no dog shall move its tongue against man or against beast, that you know that Yahweh makes distinction between Mitzrayim and Yisrael. And all these servants of yours shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people at your feet. And after that I shall go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in great displeasure. But Yahweh said to Moshe, Pharaoh is not going to listen to you in order to multiply my wonders in the land of Mitzrayim. And Moshe and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh. However, Yahweh strengthened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. And Yahweh spoke to Moshe and to Aaron in the land of Mitzrayim, saying, This new moon is the beginning of new moons for you, it is the first new moon of the year for you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying On the tenth day of this new moon, each one of them is to take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the beans, according to each man's need, you make your count for the lamb. Let the lamb be a perfect one, a year old male. Take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same new moon. Then all the assembly of the congregation of Israel shall slay it between the evenings. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. They shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water but roasted in fire its head with its legs and its inward parts and do not leave it leave of it until morning and what remains of it until morning you are to burn with fire and this is how you eat it your loins girded your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand and you shall eat it in haste it is the pesach of yahweh now shall pass through the land of mitzrayim on that night and shall strike all the firstborn in the land of Mitsrayim, both man and beast. And on all the mighty ones of Mitsrayim, I shall execute judgment. I am Yahweh. Barukhat Yahweh Elohenu Melchah Olam Asher Natan Lanu Torah Temet Dechaye Olam Beitukenu. Rukata Yahweh ha Torah. Amen. This is the Torah which Moses placed before the children of Israel. It is in accord with the Lord's command by the hand of Moses. <clears throat> it is a tree of life to those who take hold of it, and those who support it are praiseworthy. Its ways are ways of pleasantness, and all its paths are peace. Bring us back, Lord to you, and we shall come. Renew our days as of old
2: tai mi ama ha sim king ba be to me ha be u de ra he ha no one be honati fo te ha cha ha ha long
0: Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has chosen faithful prophets to speak words of truth. Amen. <clears throat> and tonight's tour portion is going to be Isaiah chapter 19, verses 1 through 17. Once again, we'll give you just a moment to find that in your preferred translation at home.
1: Isaiah chapter
0: 19, verse 1. The message concerning Mitzrayim. See, Yahweh is riding on a swift cloud, and he shall come into Mitzrayim. And the idols of Mitzrayim shall tremble at his presence, and the heart of Mitzrayim melt in its midst. And I shall stir up Mitzrites against Mitzrites, and they shall fight, each one against his brother, and each one against his neighbor, city against city, reign against rain. And the spirit of Mitzrayim shall vanish within them, and I destroy their counsel. And they shall seek the idols, and the mutterers, and the mediums, and the sorcerers. And I shall deliver the mitzrites into the hand of a cruel master, and a fierce sovereign to rule over them, declares the master, Yahweh of hosts. And water shall fail from the sea, and and the river wasted and dried up. And the river shall stink, and the streams shall be weak and dried up. Reeds and rushes shall wither, bare places by the river, by the mouth of the river, and every sown field by the river shall wither. It shall be driven away, and be no more. And the fishermen shall lament, and all those who cast hooks into the river shall mourn. And they who spread nets on the waters shall pine away, and those who work in fine flax, and those who weave fine fabric, shall become ashamed. And its foundations shall be crushed, and all the wage workers grieved in being. The princes of Zoan are only fools. The counsel of Pharaoh's wise ones has become senseless. How do you say to Pharaoh, I am the son of the wise, the son of ancient sovereigns? Where are they? Where are your wise men? Let them show you, and let them know what Yahweh of hosts has counseled against Mitzrayim. The princes of Zoan have become fools. The princes of Naf are deceived. They, the cornerstone of her tribes, have led Mitzrayim astray. Yahweh has mixed a perverse spirit in her midst. They have led Mitzrayim astray in all her work, as a drunkard strays in his vomit. And there is no work for Mitzrayim by either head or tail, palm branch or bulrush. In that day, Mitzrayim shall become like women, and tremble in fear because of the waving of the hand of Yahweh of hosts, which he waves over it. In the land of Yehuda shall be a fear to Mitzrayim. Everyone who mentions it fears for himself because of the counsel of Yahweh of hosts which he has counseled against it. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe who has given us the living word in Messiah Yeshua. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the renewed covenant. Amen. And tonight's Brit Hadashah portion is going to be John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. One more time, we'll give you just a moment to find that in your preferred translation at home. John chapter 1, verse 29. On the next day, Yohanan saw Yeshua coming toward him and said, See the Lamb of Elohim who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who has become before me, for he was before me. And I did not know him, that he might be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came immersing in water. And Yohanan bore witness, saying, I have seen the Spirit coming down from heaven like a dove and remain on him, and I did not know him, but he who sent me to immerse in water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit coming down and remaining on him, this is he who immerses in the set-apart Spirit, and I have seen and have witnessed that this is the Son of Elohim. Baruch Yahweh Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Lanu HaDevar HaEmet Bechayi Olam Beitukeinu Baruch Yahweh Noten HaBret HaDashah Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who gave to us the word of truth and planted life everlasting in our midst. Blessed are you, O Lord, Giver of the Renewed Covenant. Amen.
1: All right, so in just a moment,
0: we'll be getting to tonight's Drosh, but like always, we'll take just a short break. Check on our live streams real quick. And for those of you who are not aware, if you haven't seen previous episodes, we do stream to three different platforms every Friday night. We stream to Twitch. Odyssey and obviously YouTube. <clears throat> so, if one of those isn't working for you, or if you don't like one or the other, you can always go catch the live stream on one of the other platforms. And of course, the best way to do it is just to go to our website, GodHonestTruth.com, click on the live stream button, and it'll be right there for you. No need to search through various channels or find something to click on, it'll be right there for you. Plain, simple, quick, and easy. Now, This is the drosh I have been really excited about. Doing the live stream and doing droshes every week is a blessing and exciting for me each and every time I do it. But this drosh is especially near and dear to my heart because of the history of the church and how much persecution has been going on because of orthodoxy and heresy. Why, you ask? We're going to be getting into that tonight. Definitely stay tuned, coming up in just a moment. But considering that subject of heresy and orthodoxy, let us know down in the comments something that you know of about heresy or orthodoxy. Let us know the strangest thing that was ever considered orthodox that you've heard of. Or, consequently, let us know the strangest thing you've ever heard that was considered a heresy also. If you know, let us know down below or just let us know what it is that you think is considered to be heresy or orthodoxy. While you're down there, also be sure to hit that subscribe button and ring the bell so you're notified every time we go live or upload an on-demand video. Hit that like button and then hit the share button and share it around with your friends, family, co-workers, or what have you. Because odds are, if you're watching this right now, you know someone else within your circle who would also enjoy this type of content. So make sure to go ahead and share that around with them also. Now, let's go ahead and get to our drosh, the main event of tonight. Or I guess i should say second main event. <clears throat> As always, the word of Yahweh, the Torah portion, High Torah portion, and Brit Hadashah portion, definitely main event every week. Heresy and orthodoxy. So excited to get into this. But this whole thing, whether it's orthodoxy or heresy, generally all comes about because of people trying to learn and understand and interpret scriptures as best they can. They're trying to get knowledge and wisdom and understanding of the scriptures. In Proverbs 18.15, it tells us that the heart of the understanding one gets knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Have you ever knew anyone who was a Bible buff, who loved getting into the scriptures? You know the stuff like this really applies to them. John Milton is quoted as saying, When there is much desire to learn, there of necessity will be much arguing, much writing, many opinions, for opinion and good men is but knowledge in the making. And that's so true. And notice that one party said, there of necessity will be much arguing when people try to learn and make sense of what Scripture says. And that's so true. We see that as being played out over history and even in today's day and age. But John Milton goes on to say that hard are the ways of truth and rough to walk. And probably everyone out there listening to my voice right now knows this to be so true. That no matter what background you come from, no matter what faith you're a part of, you stand for things that you hold to be true, to be the truth. And by doing so, you find that to be hard because it comes up against other beliefs as well. So standing for the truth is a tough road to walk sometimes. But when we talk about heresy and orthodoxy,
1: what are we even talking about here?
0: Well, let's set some definitions and set some foundations before we go on so we know what it is that we're talking about when we go through this drosh. As I said, we're going to be looking through heresy and orthodoxy through the scope of Judaism, Catholicism, and Protestantism tonight. Now, as far as definition of heresy goes, Protestant definition that I got from Matt Slick over at CARM.org. he states, heresy is a false teaching. It is a belief or idea that is in contradiction to orthodoxy. In the context of Christianity, heresy is that which deviates from standard biblical teaching. But as we all know in history, This whole concept and thing of heresy and orthodoxy really got its start, especially as we know it and within Protestantism, with the Catholic Church. So, what does the Catholic Church have to say about the definition of heresy? They say in Canon 751, in the Code of Canon Law, Heresy is the obstinate denial or obstinate doubt after the reception of baptism of some truth, which is to be believed by divine and Catholic faith. Apostasy is the total repudiation of the Christian faith. Schism is the refusal of submission to the supreme pontiff or of communion with the members of the church subject to him. And notice how they define heresy here. That according to the definition, this only applies to Catholics and then only after they've been baptized into the Catholic faith. So, if a Catholic comes up and tries to accuse you of heresy, you just point them to this rule in their own book and say, Hey, I can't be a heretic because I'm not part of the Catholic faith, right? And it's right there in black and white what they said, right? But that's how Catholicism defines heresy. Now, what about Judaism? Well, from the Jewish Virtual Library, they state that heresy, belief in ideas contrary to those advocated by religious religious authorities. Because Judaism has no one official formulation of dogma against which heresy can be defined, it has no clear-cut definition of heresy. And this is so true. Even back during Yeshua's day, we knew that there were... The Pharisees, we knew that there were the Sadducees, and we knew that there were the Essenes, right? But each one would have had different things that they considered orthodox and different things they considered to be heresy. But they didn't have one main thing like there was for the longest time with Christianity when there was only the Catholic Church, right? There was just that one body, the Catholic Church, who determined what was to be believed. Well, even in Yeshua's time, Judaism wasn't like that. They already had different sects within Judaism. So, as a result, kind of continue down to this day, even now, today, we have Orthodox Judaism, we have Karaite Judaism, even within that, there is Reformed, and there's not just one set of Judaism, I'm trying to say. That's why it says there's no official formulation of dogma. So, different sects of Judaism consider different things to be heresy and different things to be um, orthodoxy. But, we get it outside of various religions and churches and look in more secular definitions. Here in dictionary.com it states that heresy Is an opinion or doctrine at variance with the orthodox or accepted doctrine, especially of a church or religious system? Roman Catholic Church, the willful and persistent rejection of any article of faith by a baptized member of the church, meaning of Catholicism. So, going along pretty much in line with what we've already seen from the statements of the various faiths, right? Again, Merriam-Webster says, Heresy is adherence to a religious opinion contrary to church dogma. Denial of a revealed truth by a baptized member of the Roman Catholic Church. So, even in the secular definitions, we get pretty much the same thing that we get from each of the faiths as well. Now, heresy wasn't always meant in the same context that it's meant today. Today is something considered to be evil and bad and shouldn't do it, right? That's not the way it always was. Heresy comes from the Greek word "hieresis," And originally it meant a choice, right? A taking or choosing for oneself, a choice, a means of taking, a deliberate plan, purpose, philosophical sect, or school. That's what "hieresis" or heresy meant. It says, the term heresy is from Greek, heresis, originally meant choice. So it didn't mean something evil and bad like it does today. Back in the time of Yeshua and the apostles, it simply just meant choice. Now it could also mean, in context, that we'll see later on in scripture, it also means something in light of a bad choice, right? But it could also be stated in light of something as a good choice, but it simply meant choice. Now, we find this word hieresis in the scriptures, or at least in the Greek scriptures anyways. This is Strong's G139, hieresis. Strong's defines it as properly a choice, right? also used in the meaning of sect or a party. Like a group of people, certain group of people, right? Thayers pretty much says the same thing, choosing choice that which is chosen. Now, we find this in Scripture in nine different places, usually the writings of Paul, and it's translated as either sect, party, heresy, or faction, or division, right? It means a certain group, or if it's meant in a negative light, meaning heresy, in the way that we understand it today. <clears throat> so, the four different translations you see online or on your screen here, where they all agree, or one spot they all agree, is in Acts 24 1 through 5. And after five days, the high priest Hananiah came down with the elders and a certain speaker, Tertullius. And they brought charges against Shaul before the governor, and when he was called upon, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Having obtained great peace through you, and reforms being brought to this nation by your forethought, we accepted always and in all, place, all places, most excellent Felix, with all thanks. But in order not to hinder you any further, I beg you to hear us briefly in your gentleness, for having found this man, referring to Paul, or Shaul, for having found this man a plague who stirs up dissension among all the Yehudim throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect, Piresis, of the Nazarenes. Now, a couple things to notice right here is that these Jews were taking Shaul to be tried, right? And they were considering the Messianics or Christians of that day a sect or a heresy, right? This is something we already kind of understood at that this point, right? That Jews didn't like the Messianics or Christians of that day, they consider them to be heretical, teaching against the commandments, yada yada. Now, here we see it directly stated in scripture that they brought someone to trial for what they consider to be a heresy. This is going to play out later in Adrash as we go through some more history. But also notice right here what the Messianics or the Christians are called in this passage. They're called Nazarenes. This is also going to be important coming up later on, but continuing on. Another place where the King James Version, the Scriptures 2009, the the Tree of Life Version, and the ESV all agree on how to translate this word is in 2 Peter 2.1. Here it's in a negative context where they translate it. It says, But there also came to be false prophets among the people, as also among you there shall be false teachers, who shall secretly bring in destructive heresies and deny the master who brought them in, who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. So here we can see. That the apostle Shaul or Paul was using this word in the context and meaning that we know of heresy today. Something bad, something that shouldn't be done, something that's destructive. Right? So this Greek word hierhis being used in a negative context, meaning something that bad that someone's chosen. Right? If hierures means choice, this is referring to a bad choice that someone made bringing division now related to the word heresy is the word heretic, and this simply means just someone who commits the acts or has a belief of heresy right Graham Webster defines it as a person who differs in opinion from established religious dogma differs in opinion from that which is considered to be orthodox. Dictionary.com defines it as a professed believer who maintains a religious who maintains religious opinions contrary, contrary to those who accept to those accepted. Well, let me start over again. A professed believer who maintains religious opinions contrary to those accepted by his or her church or rejects doctrines. Prescribed by that church. So, a heretic is someone who believes or does something that their particular group or their particular church considers to be heresy. <clears throat> now, in contrast to heresy, we also have something called orthodoxy. <clears throat> orthodoxy comes from the Greek orthodoxos, meaning of the right opinion. Otherwise defined as true doctrine and its adherence as opposed to heterodox or heretical doctrines and their adherence. Orthodoxy from etymology etymology online. From Greek orthodoxos, having the right opinion. From orthos, right, true, straight. And doxa, opinion or praise. Orthodoxy means right thing, think, or right thing to believe. That which is decided upon a particular group of people as being the correct interpretation of Scripture. Now, those are the main terms we'll be going over tonight. But you're also going to hear another term that we want to define for you real quick also. This is the word anathema. Used a lot by the Catholic Church, as you'll see when we get to that part, the drash. Anathema is someone or something intensely disliked or loathed, usually as a predicate nominative, one that is cursed by ecclesiastical authority, a ban or curse solemnly pronounced by ecclesiastical authority and accompanied by excommunication. So, someone is anathematized, that means that most likely and usually always they're considered to be a heretic and heresy. Dictionary.com defines it as a person or thing detested or loathed, a person or thing cursed or consigned to damnation or destruction, a formal ecclesiastical curse involving excommunication. So you get the drift. This is what anathema means.
1: Now, we do find the word
0: anathema in Scripture. We don't find the word orthodox or orthodoxy in scripture, but we do find the word anathema like we do with heresy. And this is Strong's G331. Uh, Strong's defines it as a religious ban or concretely excommunicated thing or person. Cursed. A curse. Anathema. Thayer's pretty much says the thing, same thing, but it goes on to say, a thing set up or laid by in order to be kept, specifically an offering resulting from vow, things devoted to God without hope of being redeemed, and if an animal to be slain, therefore a person or thing doomed to destruction. So, you can see what anathema means, how is it translated in scripture? We find the word anathema being used six different times, and once again, like heresy, usually by the Apostle Paul, or Paul, translated as oath personally enough, curse, banished, accursed, or anathema, right? Just plain out, straight anathema. We find this in Acts 23, verses 13 through 14. In the scriptures 2009, it states, and those making this conspiracy were more than 40, who having come to the chief priests and elders said, this is the Jews talking here, we have bound ourselves under a great oath not to eat at all until we have killed Shaul. And the word anathema is used here in the Greek. at Strong's G331. In the King James it says this, And they were more than 40 which had made this conspiracy. They came to the chief priest and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great curse that we will eat nothing until we have slain Paul. So, there's two different translations who translate this word in two different ways here. Again, Galatians 1, 8-9. However, even if we, or a messenger out of heaven, bring a good news to you besides what we announce to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and now I say again, if anyone brings a good news to you besides, that, besides what you have received, let him be accursed. So twice here, two different verses, Joel is stating to the church at Galatia that anyone who brings a different teaching than what he and the other apostles have taught them, let him be anathema, let him be accursed. So that is
1: anathema. But what does this all mean? Well,
0: it means that, first of all, we've got a pretty good understanding of what heresy and orthodoxy is, as defined. We've got a good foundation to start from now. We're kind of under- beginning to understand the whole thing about heresy and orthodoxy really comes down to what one particular group, whether it be within Judaism, whether it be Catholicism, whether it be within Protestantism. Heresy and Orthodoxy really just boils down to what a particular group has decided is the correct interpretation of Scripture. In his book Heresies, Dr. Harold O. J. Brown states, We now call orthodox <clears throat> I'm sorry, what we now call orthodoxy is a traditional understanding. Is it the correct one? The fact that heresy preceded orthodoxy and appears to have been suppressed and supplanted by it would seem to suggest the contrary. If not, it would be necessary to concede that the history of orthodoxy is the history of usurpation, as indeed many eminent scholars have argued and continue to argue. In his book Heresy, Alistair McGrath writes in there the thesis of another person, actually, let me get that straight real quick. But he writes, Everyone knows that history is written by the winners. Orthodoxy is nothing more than a heresy that happened to win out and promptly tried tried to suppress its rivals and silence their voices. This was a thesis developed by the German scholar Walter Bauer, who argued that the earliest and most authentic form of Christian belief was probably heretical rather than orthodox. Meaning, that what was originally believed would have been considered heretical nowadays. Of course, all that happened in the first two centuries especially, but also some in the third century before the Holy Roman Catholic Church got its beginning at the Council of Nicaea in the fourth century. So, going on, Dr. Brown states again, it is impossible to document what we now call orthodoxy In the first two centuries of christianity and this is true after almost two centuries now getting close to almost two centuries of catholicism and all their councils and all the creeds that they've come up with the things that they have pronounced in these creeds and these councils probably is not going to look anything like what people actually believed right after the time of the apostles, during the first two centuries. Alistair McGrath, in his book, Heresy, goes on to say, The convening of the Council of Nicaea by Constantine in 325 can be seen as the first step in the attempted creation of an essentially uniform imperial church, whose doctrines would be publicly defined by creeds. And he's right there. That was really the first time a group of believers got together formed a governing, powerful body, and decided through their doctrines and their creeds what everyone should believe. They should believe the church's interpretation. That was what was going on with the formation of the Catholic Church. But before we get to all that on the Catholic Church, because there's a lot to get to, Let's dive into a little bit about heresy and Judaism and how Judaism is kind of looked at within Judaism. In Acts 24, 12 through 16, and they neither found me in the set apart place, disputing with anyone, nor stirring up the crowd, either in the congregations or in the city, nor are they able to prove the charges of which they now accuse me. And this I confess to you that according to the way, which they call a sect or heresy. So I worship the Elohim of my fathers, believing all that has been written in the Torah and in the prophets, having an expectation in Elohim, which they themselves also wait for, that there is to be a resurrection of the dead, both of the righteous and the unrighteous. And in this I exercise myself to have a clear conscience toward Elohim and men always. Now, a couple things to point out here. Like we said before, like we already know, Judaism and Messianics or Christians were at odds with each other during this time, right during the time of the apostles. And here's another instance we can see where the Jews were bringing up Shaul or Paul on charges of heresy. But Shaul says that he sticks firm in his faith. He has a clear conscience and that he has expectation in Elohim. Now, this is important to note always, um, also, that Shaul was confident and knew what he was talking about. So, even though these charges of heresy were brought against him by the religious establishment of his day, he still stood firm and he was clear in his conscience. Now, going on with more about heresy in Judaism the jewish virtual library states because judaism has no official formulation of dogma a wit against which heresy can be defined it has no clear-cut definition of heresy a heretic may be distinguished from an apostate in that although he holds beliefs which are contrary to currently accepted doctrines he does not renounce his religion and often believes that he represents the true tradition And that's the thing. Everyone believes that they represent the true tradition. They represent truth, right?
1: So maybe what
0: are some things that would be considered heresy within Judaism? Well, Maimonides spells out some stuff for us. He writes, the following have no share in the world to come, but are cut off and perish and receive their punishment for all time for the great sin, for their great sin, the Menim. Five are called Menim. And in one of those five, he lists He who ascribes to the Lord of the universe a body and a figure. Now he was writing this well after the time of Yeshua. So keep that in mind. Maybe he was referencing Christianity, maybe he was referencing something different, but he states that it is heresy for anyone to ascribe to the Lord of the Universe a body and a figure. Interestingly enough, other people consider the writings and books of Maimonides to be heretical. So, take that for what you will. Again, Judas Virtual Library states, Individuals, sects, and books were at various times declared heretical. This list includes Samaritans, Judeo-Christians, Geraites, Shabbatians, Frankists, Hasidim, and liberal branches of modern Judaism. So, not only do certain sects of Judaism consider those who are not Jewish to be heretical, in a sense, like Judeo-Christians, they also consider other Jews to be heretical as well.
1: Now, heresy and Catholicism.
0: This is probably the meat and the crux of the matter because Catholicism held a lot to be heretical, a lot for people to be anathematized over or to be excommunicated over or what not, right? Let's dive into this head first. Acts 24, verse 5. For having found this man a plague, who stirs up dissensions among all the Yehudim throughout the world in a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Remember that? That during the first century, that those who followed Yeshua, the Messianics or the Christians, those apostles and stuff, they were called Nazarenes. This is important because of this right here. Epiphanes writes of the Nazarenes. He says, All Christians were called Nazarenes once. They were so-called followers of the apostles. They, dedicated, they dedicate themselves to the law. However, everyone called the Christians Nazarenes, as I said before. This appears from the accusation against Paul, which we read. For they use not only the New Testament, but also the Old. For they also accept the resurrection of the dead, and that everyone has origin in God. Only in this respect, they differ from the Jews and Christians. With the Jews, they do not agree because of their belief in Christ. Right? With the Christians, because they are trained in the law, in circumcision, Sabbath, and the other things. Bad thing? He goes on to say, this heresy of the Nazarenes exists in goes on to list places that Nazarenes actually exist, have their churches and whatnot, and then finishes up by saying, there the Nazarene heresy had its beginning. Okay. So, in one breath, Epiphanes is saying that Christians were originally called Nazarenes. Then the other breath, He's saying that these Nazarenes are heretical. Now, make that make sense. How can you be for Christianity, but at the same time, saying that it's heretical? It actually makes no sense whatsoever to me. I just wanted to put that forward for your research and your study and for your knowledge. How crazy this whole thing about heresy and orthodoxy has been at times and with the nazarenes jerome states the believing jews do well in observing the precepts of the law keeping the jewish sabbath there exists a sect among synagogues of the east which is called the sect of the men and is even now condemned by the pharisees over the Contention between the Pharisees and the early Messianics, right? He goes on saying, "The adherents to this sect are known commonly as Nazarenes. They believe in Christ, the Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, and they say that He who suffered under Pontius Pilate and rose again is the same as the one in whom we believe." A most pestilential heresy. So again, even Jerome is writing the same thing about the Nazarenes, what they do, what they believe, et cetera, et cetera. And again, he's calling the Nazarenes, or the original Christians, the original Messianics, as heretical. Again, how does this make sense? But, again, it's all part of the craziness that's existed in times past around this whole heresy and orthodoxy thing. Proverbs 18.17 states, The first to state his own case seems right until another comes and examines him. And this is how it was with the Roman Catholic Church. 325, they had the Council of Nicaea, They were the first organized group or church to state their case. So they thought they were right. What are some of the things they said back in the early days there? What are some of the creeds and the canons and the doctrines they come up with? Well, in the fourth century, there were lots and lots and lots of ecumenical councils and synods that were held by the Roman Catholic Church one of those was the council of laodicea in 363 get this in canon 29 they stated christians must not judaize by resting on the sabbath but must must work on that day rather honoring the lord's day or sunday and if they can resting then as christians but if any shall be found to be judaizers let them be anathema or cursed from Christ. This is what they are defining as correct interpretation and to be believed and followed by everyone in the church. That they are saying that we should not rest on the Sabbath, that we should not obey Scripture in that way, but rather we should work on that day the day that the Almighty told us to rest, and instead rest on the Sabbath, if you can. I'm sorry, rest on Sunday, if you can. Right? Scripture states that Sabbath is the seventh day of the week, not Sunday. Scripture also says that you must rest, not if you can rest, but that you must. Okay? So, the Catholic Church here in Canon 29, Council of Laodicea, is upending all that and expecting everyone to accept that as orthodox doctrine. And if you believe or do otherwise, that would make you a heretic. Going on in Canon 37, it is not lawful to receive portions sent from the feast of Jews or heretics, nor to feast together with them. So you can't even go... And feast with our
1: Jewish brethren, according to the Catholic Church. And if you do,
0: apparently you are a heretic. Canon 38 they state it is not lawful to receive unleavened bread from the Jews, nor be partakers of their impiety. Uh, again, Canon 44 they declare it to be doctrine for everyone to follow and do and believe. And in the 44 states, women may not go to the altar. So any woman, after they declared this, any woman who went to the altar will be committing heresy
1: and be a heretic. I mean,
0: come on. But it didn't stop there. As we all know, 1500s, the Protestant Reformation happened with Martin Luther, who got the ball rolling and all that. Well, in response to that, <clears throat> the Roman Catholic Church held what's called the Council of Trent. And, as you can imagine, they held the council in response to Protestant Reformation. More than likely, they also came up with some new canons, things to be believed in response to the Protestant Reformation. Look at that. Council of Trent, Canon 9. If anyone says that the sinner is justified by faith alone, meaning that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to obtain the grace of justification, and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the action of his own will, let him be anathema. Yeah, they actually said that. If anyone says that the sinner is justified by faith alone, let him be anathema. So, according to the Catholic doctrine, if you believe that justification is by faith alone, you're committing heresy and you're a heretic. Yep. And in 18. If anyone says that the commandments of God are, even for one that is justified and constituted in grace, impossible to observe, let him be anathema. So if you say that the commandments are too hard, we can't do them,
1: then you're cursed, you're a heretic. But there were lots and lots of canons and things they come up with at the Council
0: of Trent here. I've only shown you four of them. Two more. And in 19, if anyone says that nothing besides faith is commanded in the gospel, that other things are indifferent, neither commanded nor forbidden, but free, or that the Ten Commandments in no way pertain to Christians, let him be anathema. And in 20, if anyone says that a man who is justified and however perfect is not bound to observe the commandments of God in church, but only to believe as if the gospel were a bare, absolute promise of eternal life without the condition of 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 observing the commandments let him be anathema yeah this is the thing this is some of the things that they came up with they voted on and they put into their creed their canons here everyone to believe and anyone who didn't believe and follow and do were heretics In fact, these Catholics were so committed to their doctrines, their canons, their orthodox things they come up with, they eventually came up with what's called the Inquisition. And the Inquisition was a group of institutions within the Catholic Church whose aim was to combat heresy. Catholics fighting back against what they considered to be heresy. Conducting trials of suspected heretics, studies of the records have found that the overwhelming majority of sentences consisted of penances but convictions of unrepentant heresy were handed over to the secular courts, which generally resulted in execution or life imprisonment. So, if you committed heresy, or you went against that which the Catholic Church decided was correct interpretation, you could very likely, during the Inquisition,
1: be killed for that.
0: Even if you thought that you were going by what actual scripture says, if it was against the church, you would be killed for heresy. They expected you just to follow what they defined to
1: be orthodox.
0: And George Orwell, in his book 1984, wrote, Orthodox is unconsciousness. Now, of course, this is a work of fiction, but that statement is true and kind of pertains to what we're talking about tonight. That orthodoxy within Christianity, and especially with Catholicism, is expected to be followed without any question, not to even think about it, follow it unconsciously. Don't worry about the scriptures. Don't study for yourself. You just believe what the church tells you to believe. That's orthodoxy. As George Orwell said in 1984, orthodoxy is unconsciousness.
1: Or at least having that kind of mindset about orthodoxy is unconsciousness.
0: Now, what about heresy and Protestantism? cause Protestants aren't don't have their hands clean over all this. They still have a role to play too. Did you know that Baptists are considered as heretics by the Orthodox Church? Orthodox Wiki states Baptists are part of the Congregationalist heresy, meaning that they don't have bishops or any traditional ecclesiological structures. So, to another group, Baptists are considered heretics. But to Baptists, there are some other groups that are considered heretics. That's the way heresy and orthodoxy work. Now, Anabaptists consider evangelicals to be heretics. From Anabaptist world, as Gnosticism was a Christian movement that was refuted as heresy, Evangelicalism is a Christian movement with ideas that go far afield from Jesus, the Gospels, and Christian orthodoxy. You see what's going on here. One group of Christians considers another group of Christians to be heretical. The second group of Christians considers the first group of Christians to be heretical.
1: That's how this works. Even during the
0: Reformation, this was going on. Not just today during the Reformation as well. Arminianism was considered by the Calvinists to be heresy. Uh, Wincoop Mildred Bangs writes, with Calvinist representatives from other countries and in 1618 published a condemnation of Arminius and his followers as heretics. See
1: how this works, right?
0: And earlier we talked about Catholics, how they formed the Inquisition to fight heresy, how people convicted of heresy were even killed for what Catholics considered to be heresy. Happened within Protestantism too. John Calvin famously was known for wanting to kill people, calling people bad names, slandering them, all kinds of things. One of the more famous incidents was with the issue of Michael Servetus, who lived during the time of Calvin. Also died during the time of Calvin. Here from Christianity Today, it states on this incident. Calvin informed the Catholic Inquisition of Servetus's location. He was caught out, he, Servetus, was called out when he came to Geneva, however, where he was spotted and the local council had him arrested and sentenced to death. To give some credit to Calvin, he encouraged Servetus to repent with no success. He also unsuccessfully lobbied for some leniency for the prisoner, Servetus, suggesting beheading instead of being burnt alive. Okay, so either way, Calvin wanted him dead for something that Calvin disagreed with. Servetus didn't line up with Calvin's interpretation, so therefore Calvin wanted him dead. And Calvin got him dead. Funny enough, even though Calvin did not like the Catholic Church and separated from the Catholic Church, Calvin called the Inquisition the Catholic goon squad on Servetus. So he had no problem
1: having people do his dirty work for him. In
0: response to this, or I'm sorry, Christianity Today goes on to say, but various correspondence shows that even though Calvin didn't sentence Servetus, he still believed it was right for him to die for his heresy. Calvin rejoiced in Michael Servetus' death. He rejoiced that an opponent that didn't agree with his particular interpretation died for not agreeing with him.
1: This, ladies and gentlemen, was John Calvin.
0: John Calvin goes on to write, say, Many people have accused me of such ferocious cruelty that I would like to kill again the man I have destroyed. Michael Servetus. Not only am I indifferent to their comments, but I rejoice in the fact that they spit in my face. So he was gleeful about what he had done. He writes in one letter, says, One day glory and riches shall be the reward of your pains. But above all, do not fail to rid the country of those scoundrels who stir up the people to revolt against us. Such monsters should be exterminated, as I have exterminated Michael Cervatus, the Spaniard. Yep, that's John Calvin for you.
1: And this is just a taste
0: of what John Calvin was actually like. Francis Schaeffer states, Biblical orthodoxy without compassion is surely the ugliest thing in the world. Haven't we just seen that? We went over the history of Catholicism, and dealing with heresy and orthodoxy, and when we went over Protestantism and dealing with heresy and orthodoxy. This rings true. Biblical orthodoxy without compassion is surely the ugliest thing in the world.
1: So, how do we deal with all this? When we get back to scripture. How do we make
0: sense of it all? Well, Ephesians 4 31 through 32 states, Let all bitterness and wrath and displeasure and uproar and slander be put away from you, along with all evil. And be kind towards one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as Elohim also forgave you in Messiah. Nothing there
1: about killing people that you disagree with.
0: And in Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupt word come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for the use of building up so as to impart what is pleasant to the hearers. Instead of tearing down, instead of killing people that you don't line up with in your interpretation, Scripture says, build them up.
1: In like manner, you will also be built up.
0: Proverbs twelve eight. Rash speaking is like piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is healing. So are you healing, or are you acting like the
1: piercing of a sword?
0: So what does all this mean? Does that mean <clears throat> that anything should go? That people can believe whatever they want to believe, even if it's something blatantly wrong? No, no, we're not saying that at all, and Scripture doesn't say that either. First Corinthians five twelve through thirteen, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are inside? But Elohim judges those who are outside, and put away the wicked one from among you. Okay, so here, Joel is writing to the church at Corinth. Judge within yourselves. Everyone else outside of the congregation, outside of the body of believers, you know, don't worry about them. God will judge them. We take care of ourselves. Judge within yourselves. First Corinthians eleven thirty-one through thirty-two. For if we were to examine ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the master that we should not be condemned with the world again damn yourselves
1: judge within yourselves
0: second <clears throat> 2 timothy 2:24 through 25 and a servant of the master should not quarrel but be gentle towards all able to teach patient when wronged In meekness, instructing those who are in opposition, lest somehow Elohim gives them repentance unto a thorough knowledge of the truth. That bears repeating. In meekness, instructing those who are in opposition, lest somehow Elohim gives them repentance unto a thorough knowledge of the truth. If only people like John Calvin and the Roman Catholics had actually read this verse. In meekness, instructing those who are in opposition, instructing those who may disagree with you and not interpret scriptures the exact same way that you do. Do it with meekness to try to instruct them. Now, in the process, you may also find out that, hey, maybe you got something wrong too. That's great. That helps you grow as a person. Don't be afraid to be wrong about something. We're all wrong about certain things from time to time. It's okay, we're human. But when other people do something that you consider to be wrong, that doesn't line up with your interpretation of scripture, go about it with meekness, as scripture states right here, second Timothy. And then I'll leave you with this with the words of Yeshua. <clears throat> Matthew fifteen, thirteen through fourteen. But he answering said, Every plant which my heavenly father has not planted shall be uprooted. Leave them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both shall fall into a ditch. So, you're in meekness, trying to instruct others who you believe to be in error. That's not working, and Division is coming up, then Yeshua, his words here, leave them alone. They're leaders of the blind. They will be uprooted eventually. In other words, leave it in God's hand. Because you can only do so much in this life. There are things out of your control, there are things that you can control. If you can't control it, leave it to God. So that is over 60 slides we've gotten so through tonight. And we're going on an hour and a half right now. It's been a long one. Let's go ahead and summarize this real quick. <clears throat> In summary, orthodoxy is just a doctrine agreed upon by a specific group. It may not be the same orthodoxy that another group holds, but both groups consider what they believe to be orthodoxy. Heresy is a belief or an action that goes contrary to the orthodoxy of a specific group. As we've seen as we went through history, militant adherence to an orthodoxy over the centuries has led to atrocities and unscriptural hatred. There's no getting
1: around that. It really has.
0: And finally, I'm sorry, we should continue to study, research, re-examine, and better our own selves and our own congregations. Because we don't have everything right. We do have some things right, and we should help instruct others, but doing so in meekness, as Scripture told us. But we should definitely be studying for ourselves, researching for ourselves, continuing to re-examine what we believe And bettering ourselves before we worry about other people. You remember what Yeshua said about taking the moat out of your own eye before you worry about the speck in your brother's eye? Applies here too. Better yourself, make sure you're right, before you start instructing someone else. And finally, we should worry less about one particular group's orthodoxy and more about the word of Yahweh. Scripture, what Scripture actually tells us, and that's just the God honest truth. We'd like to thank you tonight for joining us. We hope that you got something out of this. If you did, let us know down in the comments below what you got out of tonight, and everyone can learn. If we forgot something, make sure to put that down below as well. just a moment, we'll be doing the Aaronic Benediction. So if you're watching this from home and you have others that you would like gathered around you while we do this, then go ahead and start gathering them together. Now, before you leave the comments section down below, make sure to hit that like button and hit the subscribe button, as well as ring the bell, and also hit that share button and share this video and, of course, God on His truth ministry in general with your friends, family, coworkers, or whoever. You can do that through social media, you can do that through email, you can do it through text message, but just share us around. We really do appreciate every time that you do that.
1: And so finally tonight, go ahead and get to our Aaronic benediction.
2: Give a rick Ki Yahweh Yahweh Panave Leha Behuneha Yisaha Yahweh Panave Leha Behassim Leha May Yahweh bless you and guard
0: you. May Yahweh make his face shed light upon you be gracious unto you. May Yahweh lift up his face unto you and give you peace. Thank you once again for joining us tonight. We really do hope that you got something out of tonight's Strah. We hope that you have a great and restful Shabbat. And until we see you next time, we hope you have a week that's filled with good food, good spirits, good health, good fortune, good family, and good friends. Take care of each other. Take care of yourself. And until we see you next week at eight p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Shabuatov and Shabbat Shalom.
2: kindness of Yahweh forever